Welcome back to the podcast. This is Shara, Creative and Technical Director here at Evans for Faith. And we hope to see you in April. Yes, I'm still promoting the marine biology trip this morning. If you have not heard about it yet, or you're interested in getting more information, or you just want to get your application in, you have until February 28th to get over to evidenceforfaith.org slash 2022 marine biology. That's evidence number four, faith.org slash 2022 marine biology. Or you can click on the events tab and get your application in before February 28th. So we hope to see you there. This is a unique opportunity to study marine science with Michael Lane and a whole group of other really cool people. Um, so we hope to see you there in April. So today we are in session 14 of the Road to Emmaus, Messianic Prophecies of the Old Testament. As always, this program is supported by listeners just like you. If you'd like to help support this broadcast and keep it free, you can donate at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And here is Michael Lane in session 14 of the Road to Emmaus, Messianic Prophecies of the Old Testament. Welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. Glad you're stopping by and listening to our podcast on our road to Emmaus, our prophecies concerning the coming Messiah uh, from the Old Covenant prophecies about Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled these. Uh, Again, proving that he is truly the Messiah, the Son of God. Um, Many people make predictions and prophecies. I mean, today people predict things all the time, do they not? I mean, we're coming into Super Bowl uh, next weekend, and we have the Rams playing as the Cincinnati Bengals. And I, people were making all sorts of predictions throughout the football season. Oh, there was going to be the Packers in it, and or this team, uh, the Buccaneers would be in it again, and all this. And all those sort of those prophets sort of fell short. Hmm, according to the Bible, we should take them out and stone them all. Or people make predictions having to do with politics about who's going to win this and who's going to win that. And, oh, my gosh, there, there's so many predictions that are constantly made. But when it comes to God and God giving information to a prophet, it's always 100% going to be accurate. If not, even according to the Old Covenant, um, if a person claims to be a prophet of God and says something and it doesn't come out, you're supposed to take him out and stone the guy. I mean, um, there were strict rules on this. But today we just sort of make all sorts of weird predictions. I mean, it gets sort of crazy, um, people predicting. I remember, um, like, when you come into the new year, there used to be these, like, magazines and stuff that were around the the cashier at, like, Walmarts and Kmarts and things that used to have all their predictions for the coming year. And, yeah, those hardly ever came true. We should take these people out and stone them. But, um, I mean, to predict, to actually say this is going to definitely happen, no. Only God knows all this kind of stuff. And he told us how you would recognize the Messiah when he came. He told this to the Jews. He gave them the Old Covenant. And in this Old Covenant, the Old Testament, 
He gave them specifically over 200 ways they would identify the Messiah. We're covering in this series approximately 80 uh, or so major prophecies, and we're seeing how Jesus fulfilled every single one of these. And as I've mentioned before in some of our lessons in this series, uh, mathematicians have figured out that if one, for one person to be born to fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, the odds are actually beyond what is mathematically or physically possible. Thus, the Messianic prophecies are actually another miracle of God and Jesus proving that he truly is the Messiah. So as we explore this, and if you've been following along with us, I'm so glad you are and, and that you have turned into this, this podcast as we're continuing. We're on the downward tread from the peak of the mountain. We're at number 45. So um, we are starting to get closer to the end of these. And we'll be starting another couple of series here very soon with podcasts. But uh, as we're finishing off this um this series, we still have quite a few to go. I mean, don't don't think we're going to be done here today. Um, there's there's quite a few lessons uh, coming forth. But as we're doing this, uh, and if you're taking notes, you've noticed that what I've been giving is the number of the prophecy, uh, numerically how many we're doing, and then I'm giving you where it's found, and uh, and then I give you a subtitle or a subtopic for what this prophecy is. I give a title for it. And today we're at number 45, and what we're looking at is Psalm chapter 72. And in Psalm chapter 72, the book of Psalms, it's a huge book in the Bible, of course. It's the largest book. It's actually composed of five books. But um, in this book uh, that we call Psalms, these are songs and things. And uh, there are many, many messianic prophecies in the book of Psalms. Um, We're looking just specifically at two verses here. And I'm entitling this uh, verses 70. It's chapter 72, verses 8 and 17 are the verses. And I'm entitling this the kingdom and the blessing of the Messiah. So it's Psalm 72, verses 8 and 17, the kingdom and the blessing of the Messiah, if you're taking notes. And I hope that you've been enjoying this. I'm, I'm just fascinated as we go through this. And as I, each time I go through this, though I've taught this many times, I, I keep discovering new things and I just keep seeing new stuff coming out. It's so fascinating. Now, we have to make sure you understand something, uh, particularly if you're new to us here. When we talk about Jesus as the Messiah, the Jews, the Hebrew nation, knew that there would be two Messiahs. Two Messiahs, yes. Uh, one would be what they called the suffering Messiah. And then there would be the victorious warrior, judge, king Messiah. Jesus, and he came when he came um, in his ministry 2,000 years ago, he came as the suffering Messiah. So um, he came to suffer for us, to uh, atone for our, our uh, sins, to be a propitiation, a sacrifice, to appease God. Um, and he came to conquer sin, to conquer death. Uh, death is a result of sin. And so uh, he had to conquer these um, and take our, our sins upon himself on the cross so that we could enter into a, a eternal relationship and he could put his Holy Spirit inside of us. And that's the whole point of being saved, that we will be eternally with, with God and praising God and serving God and 
and um, being able to do this only because of what Jesus did. He's the only way to have eternal life with the Father. And so he came as the suffering Messiah, but there are prophecies throughout the Old Covenant. We've skipped a number of these that pertain to the second coming, when Jesus comes again. And that time, what he comes as is not the suffering Messiah. He comes as the victorious warrior, judge, king Messiah. And that's what we're all expecting. The Jews are expecting that. We Christians are expecting that. And the unbelieving world will actually witness all of this. And as it says in the book of Philippians, Paul writes under the influence of God that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whether people come to knowledge of it now and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior now or or acknowledge him alone just as being Lord and being totally God, they will do it either now or they will do it then. But we Christians, we rejoice that he is our Savior. And this is just an amazing thing. Now, the, these two verses that you see in Psalm 72, um, part the first one actually deals more with the second coming. The second coming. And um, this psalm by Solomon, um, it reads in Psalm chapter 72, verse 8, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, this is really specifically talking about a future event. Um, Christ coming again as a victorious warrior, Judge King, where he will rule everything. The dominion will be uh, everything belongs to him because he is the creator of everything. Everything does belong to him. But Satan has sort of stolen um, and and caused uh, uh, us to fall away. And Jesus is going to restore it. And that's what Jesus will do. So this is uh, easily messianic because Jesus's rule is over the entire world, not just the nations of the Israel. It's from all the ends of the earth. Everybody can come to Jesus Christ. But it's the second part that we come across in Psalm 72, verse 17, that um, this one is is uh, specifically talking about Jesus uh, now and also in the future. And it reads, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Now, that's out of the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word translation that we're doing here. If you want to take it out of a thought-for-thought, say, for for instance, let's look at the way the NIV uh, writes this. Um, They have it written as, all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. So it's the same thing. It's maybe a little easier to understand out of the NIV as opposed to a word-for-word translation like the ESV. But this truly has come true through Jesus, and it's a direct answer to a prophecy we already covered back when we were doing Genesis, uh, part of the Abrahamic covenant between God and Abraham. And that's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And God uh, says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So unlike what the Jews were thinking at the time of Christ, only the Hebrew nation, only Jews can come into a relationship with God. No, God makes it very plain throughout the old covenant. Many times, anybody who comes to him, he will accept. And the, the, here it says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is pertaining to the Abrahamic covenant. God is just repeating it. 
He's repeating it here in Psalm, what that covenant was, that the Messiah will cause all the world to be blessed, and that's what that one is. So that's number 45. Everybody is going to be blessed, um, those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord. All nations that accept him will be blessed. Doesn't matter if you're Hebrew, doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it goes for anybody. And some people might say, well, I, I thought that only Jews in the old covenant, God only approved of the Jews. Um, and that was just his chosen people. Well, they were his chosen people. But as I said, God does not turn anybody away. No matter what nation they come from, what other culture they come from, whatever background they have, if they come to him, God accepts them. And as we've talked about this in numerous lessons before, uh, when the exodus took place and Moses leading them out, it says that a mixed multitude went with them. Um, Rahab, Rahab um, at Jericho becomes a follower. We have Ruth, the Moabite. You have David with many of his soldiers. They were Philistines and Hittites and, and others. Uh, uh, Amalekites and stuff joined David. Um, or you want to talk about a real example, let's go to the book of Jonah, where you have the city of Nineveh, one of the, the largest city of the day, have a revival. And these Assyrians, because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the Assyrians were the most evil cultures that ever have existed on this planet. They turn and repent and turn to God, and God accepts this. No matter what you have done, God will accept you. It's Satan's lie telling you, no, you've done too much bad. You've, you've done too many things incorrect. God could never love you. And I have counseled so many teens over the years that don't listen to like this prophecy here. They listen to the lies of Satan. And people have said that uh, to me, some, some teens and college students have told me, I, there's no way God could ever approve of me because I'm so damaged. I'm so bad. I've done this and this and this. No, God can. Um, God works the impossible. Well, as Jesus says, uh, eternal life, oh, it's impossible for man, but it's, but it's not impossible with God. God can do all things. And the Old Covenant, too, the Old Testament is full of people. And that's an interesting Bible study sometime you might want to try. Is just looking at all the different nations and individual people that at times turn to God, and God accepts them. So you cannot out-sin God's grace. God loves you, and he wants to have a permanent, eternal relationship with you. He wants to put his Holy Spirit inside of you. I mean, how, how much better can that be? That's the ultimate in life. That's our purpose in life. We were created to have this relationship, but because our choice of, of sinning that Adam and Eve did, and it has descended down through us, death came as a result of this sin. Christ had to come and conquer all that, and he did. It's the suffering Messiah. But when he returns, he comes back as the victorious warrior judge king, and that's what we just read here. So that was number 45. Let's go to number 46. Number 46 is Psalm chapter 78. And we're just going to look at the first two verses of this one. Now, this is a really easy uh, prophecy to see. And I'm entitling this one, The Parable Teaching Messiah. The Parable Teaching Messiah. Uh, have you ever wondered why Jesus taught with parables? I mean, Jesus used a lot of parables as he taught the people. And Jesus was a master teacher. I mean, he really was. I've read certain books and uh, research papers on um, Jesus as a teacher. Being a professional teacher myself, having taught for um, 
more than two dozen uh, years, twenty almost 25 years in public and private schools. And I still teach um, at Fort Wilderness. When I was working there, I taught. And um, I still, in Evidence for Faith, I still teach people. Um, I'm a certified teacher. My credentials are still up to date because we do a marine biology trip every year, and I still teach in that. But one thing that I did many years ago, um, back in the 80s, I started looking in the latter 80s, early 90s, I started to study the teaching methods of Jesus. And I was fascinated how he taught. And I, uh, I saw that he uses parables and uses stories frequently. He's a master storyteller. And so I tried to incorporate that. Those who have sat, if you're listening and you've sat under me teaching um, a subject, whether it's biology or whatever, um, you notice I'd use a lot of stories when I often teach. Jesus did too. I remember my first year of teaching, my very first year of teaching was down in the Bahamas and I was teaching science and Bahamian history. And I remember when we gave a final at the end of my first year of teaching, um, at the end of the school year, giving a final to the students, uh, they didn't do as, as well as I had hoped and expected. But what I did find out is we talked about it afterwards uh, and we're talking about what they had learned uh, from me that year. They could recall every cotton picking story I ever told. I was like, just uh, uh, just aghast at how much they recalled of all these little stories that I said. So at that point, I started thinking maybe you know Jesus has got something on this. Maybe teaching with stories is is a real good way of learning. Well, Jesus does this too, and he's a parable teacher. And if you ever wonder, why does Jesus teach with parables? It's because it was prophesied in Psalm 78, verses 1 and 2. And here it is. Let me read it to you out of the English Standard, this word-for-word uh, -word translation we're primarily using. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Now, there's the, po uh, the prophecy. I am going to come and teach with parables. How are you supposed to know? How are the Jews supposed to know the Messiah? Well, you would recognize the Messiah because he will come as a parable teaching Messiah. And I mean, Jesus obviously fits this, this prophecy very well. And parables, by the way, some people will say, well, um, parables are only found in New Testament, and that is not true. Parable is, is something that was used frequently in the ancient world, and it's still used today. As I say, I use parables when I teach. And it was something that was used in ancient time, and the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, has parables in it too. And you might be sitting here wondering, where is there a parable well, there's many, but I'm not going to name them all. I'll give you one classic example. When David sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet came to confront him, how did Nathan do it? Did he just go up and say, hey, David, you killed another man's wife and, and took her for your own? No, he tells a parable about a man having a, a family with a, a pet sheep and how his sheep was stolen. And David gets outraged by this story without realizing that Nathan is talking about him. Parables are found numerous places in the Old Covenant. Just don't think it's a New Testament thing with Jesus. It was something that was used frequently, but Jesus took it to an art form. Uh, in the, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, you see a lot of parables. But if you actually study the book of John, you'll see Jesus, uh, John, the author of that Gospel, it, as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, he didn't put parables in that. 
So if you're looking for a parable, don't go to the book of John. John doesn't contain parables. Um, John has um, no parables, basically, and he only covers seven miracles. Um, so his whole point is to show that Jesus is God and that he truly is the creator God, and that's what he's doing uh, with these seven miracles, that he does miraculous things against nature. But anyway, let's move on to the next one, number 47. Uh, number 47 is uh, going to be Psalm chapter 89. Psalm 89, and again, we're just going to look at two small passages in this psalm. This psalm was written back at the time of Solomon, and I'm calling Psalm 89, Messiah in the line of David. So it's number 47, Psalm 89, Messiah in the line of David. Now, as I said, this psalm was written by Solomon, many believe, and fulfilled only only by Jesus. No other king can lay claim to the prophecies that are mentioned here. As we've covered already in the book of Psalms, many of the Psalms have a dual purpose. They are pertaining to parts of uh, like David or Solomon or somebody, um, and it talks about their life, but it parallels and gets the full meaning of the, of the prophecies and stuff dealing with the Messiah, with Jesus. This one is not like that. This has two key prophecies, and it's verses three and four, and it's also verses 35 and 36. But only, uh, only Jesus can, can uh, these pertain to. Um, he does come in the line of David. So let's take a look at these. I'll read first um, verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 89, and it reads, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So this is dealing definitely with the Messiah. And also, as we see in verses 35 and 36 of Psalm 89, it reads, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Now, as we've already covered in many prophecies and the genealogies that you see in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus is in the line of David, no question about it. And so um, we, we catch that right away. But one thing that confuses many people, many people get confused because if when they read this, they say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Since the Babylonian captivity, there has not been a descendant of David sitting on the throne of Israel since that day. Yet this specifically says that I will establish uh, or build your throne for all generations. Um, and so he's supposed to be reigning forever. David's offspring would reign forever. So people say, and I've had many, not just critics of the Bible, I've had Christians, um, matter of fact, even once um, a pastor I was uh, asking the question, I don't quite understand how this prophecy is fulfilled since there is no king of Israel today. You know, um, how does how does this work? Well, it deals with Jesus, Jesus, when he came. Yes, the the king sitting on the throne of of Israel that stopped um, and it won't continue until Jesus in the future comes and sits on the throne. But the thing is, Jesus is an offspring of David. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is alive today. Jesus is reigning and sitting on his throne in heaven. 
Thus, God's promise is true that the offspring of David would sit on the throne forever. Um, His offspring will endure forever because Jesus is eternal and he is sitting on his throne today. And when he comes back, he will sit on the throne again of even Israel in a future prophecy here. But it still pertains today because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. David and his other descendants, they all died. And and that's that. But Jesus is alive today. And he is the king of kings. And his kingdom right now is not here on this earth. It will be in the future. But he is still reigning in heaven today. His kingdom is from above. And sometime soon, very soon possibly, he's going to return and reign king even here. So be assured, Jesus is reigning today, and he has, um, since his time on earth, um, he has fulfilled the Davianic covenant here, and he's continuing to fill it as time goes on. So that takes us to number 48. Number 48, it's Psalm 102, and we're just, again, looking at a small passage, verses 25, 26, and 27. And this sort of goes into what we're just talking about to a degree. Um, But Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Um, And I'm entitling this, The The Eternal Messiah. The Eternal Messiah. And this psalm has these verses, and let me read them as they appear here um, in this passage. Of old... You laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. Your years have no end. Now, we were just talking about how the Messiah is eternal. This is also talking specifically about that. Not only that, you'll notice that there's actually a couple of things, three things here that are very amazing um, and need to be looked at carefully. It talks, uh, it begins uh, talking about laying the foundations of the earth and the heavens and that these are the work of, of the hands of God. Thus, this is the creator. This is speaking of the Messiah. The Messiah is the creator God. And if you don't catch that, just go back and read the first three verses of the Gospel of John, um, where every um, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And basically it says, everything was created by Him. You get to the book of Colossians, it says the same thing. All things were created by Him. And you get to Hebrews chapter uh, 1, you, you come across the same thing, that He is the Creator God. Also, it says that the years have no end. He is eternal. Jesus, the Messiah, is eternal. Yes, he died a human death, but he was raised from the dead. I mean, you got a lot of other people claiming to be some gods or something like that, and they're all rotting in their tombs today. Jesus is not. I've been inside of his tomb. I have put my hands right on the slab where the body would have been. And the thing is, he's not there. His body's not there. He is eternal. And then there's something else at the end of this. Notice, and I love this. You are the same, and your years have no end. So this is specifically saying that God is unchanging. 
And we see this frequently. The unchangeable God will outlast even his creation and even into a new creation, as it talks about in end time prophecies. No, God does not change. Malachi 3, 6, uh, James 1, 17, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 all talk about the eternal God that does not change. God does not change. Society cannot make God change. Right there is a big difference between many people who claim to be Christians. They say that God has to change with times. If society says, well, this is acceptable now, God has to keep up with the times. Oh, who are we fooling that the eternal, perfect standard of truth has to change because a fallen man making some decrees? Come off it. That's ridiculous. God does not change. I mean, you can't get any clearer than Malachi 3, 6 on this. I, the Lord, do not change. Not like man. Man changes his mind frequently. No, God doesn't change. So take a look and also just take a, a gander sometime at um, Hebrews chapter 1. It's, it's amazing. The first four verses talk about who Jesus is and how he fits this. And then you get the verses 10, 11, and 12. And it actually uses this passage in the, of Psalms in there as a prophecy. So we can read this um, and understand this, uh, this prophecy because of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Well, let's go to number 49. Number 49 is Psalm 109. Now, Psalm 109, I'm entitling this, The Betrayal Predicted. The Betrayal Predicted. And notice I didn't say a verse because it's the entire psalm. Um, all 31 verses of this psalm have to do with the Messiah. And so as we read this one, um, the betrayal of the Messiah, as I read this through, first of all, I just want you to recall the like what you hear at Easter time every year about Judas Iscariot and his betrayal. And as we... As I read this, just sort of keep this on the back burner of your mind as you're listening to the words of this about how Judas is predicted to do what he does through all of this. So let's read this psalm, then I'll take it apart, um, certain verses, and come back and hit key verses on this. But this is this is the betrayal being predicted um, centuries uh, before it ever took place. So Psalm 109 reads, Be not silent. O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. 
May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his prosperity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and the needy and the broken heart to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be a, a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accuser from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servants will be glad. May my accuser be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give thank, great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of my throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Now, in this psalm, David prophesizes the betrayal of the Messiah. Now, not all of the verses in this psalm are attributed to the Messiah alone. No, very easily, you probably notice many of these pertain to David. This is one of the dual prophecies we talked about. It has to do with certain things dueling, uh, or dealing with David's life and how David was uh, accused. And, and actually, he, he had all sorts of hardships and stuff like this. And people tried to seek his life and put him to death. Um, but we also see this with the Messiah. So, yes, parts of this are attributed, attributed to David, but some parts are specifically for the Messiah. And they do pertain to someone higher, obviously, than David. Now, let's take a look at how this falls apart. And I want to pull out some of these just briefly here and help explain what we just read. So in verses 1 through 5, and then in verses 20 through 31, those verses pertain to the Messiah. Again, it's verses 1 through 5, and it's verses 20 through 31 pertain to the Messiah in his cries to God for help. Then you come to verses 6 through 13. 
this speaks directly about Judas Iscariot. So let's take a look at these. Um, We know the Messiah cries out for help in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. But let's get into this betrayal part in verses 6 through 13, dealing with the betrayal, the prediction of the betrayal. And as we look at this in verse 6, we read, Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Okay, this is talking about Judas Iscariot comes under the influence of Satan. And Judas is one of the leaders of the disciples. Now, a lot of a lot of people don't realize this. They don't catch this. We always associate Peter as being the leader of the disciples. But if you recall, there was arguments at times between the disciples about who is the greatest. So Peter is obviously not the only leader here. And John tells us specifically that Judas was the money keeper. If you're the money keeper, you have power and thus you are an important person. I put it before you, Judas was one of the leaders of the disciples. He was, though he was a false disciple, he was a leader of the disciples. And being the money keeper, also his position, when you read of where the people basically are sitting at the Last Supper, he's sitting in a place of honor. So Judas was one of the head leaders. And that's probably one reason that John even writes that they never under, they never caught that Judas was going to be the betrayer because he was one of their leaders. Surely it would be somebody, it wouldn't be one of our top dogs. It would be one of these little ones running around here that's going to be the betrayer, someone not as close close, not as, not as you know, important. But no, this is talking about somebody at the right hand. So somebody of great importance is going to become the accuser. And Judas is under the influence of Satan. Now, you look at verse 7, the first part, just the very beginning of this, it says, let him come forth guilty. Well, Judas will be condemned in judgment. I mean, plain as day, he, he betrays the Messiah. I mean, of of all people he could betray, he betrays Jesus, uh, the worst of all sins that he could do. Um, he rejects him and stuff. And well, that's what people are doing even to this day who reject Jesus. But look at the second part of that, of verse 7. It says, his prayers be counted as sin. Judas will pray to God. I mean, he is uh, sorry for what he did after it happens. He th- gives back the money, throws it back in there. He's um, he's very sad about what he did, but he doesn't come back to Jesus. And John even tells us that he is in hell. He's the son of hell. Um, so he never repents. He, he is sorrowful, but he doesn't repent. And see, there's a difference between being sorrowful and repenting. We've covered this before. To be sorry and ask forgiveness is one thing, and which we should do when we offend somebody or hurt somebody. And we offend Jesus, we offend God, we should be sorrowful for that, and we should ask for forgiveness, yes. But Jesus' message was always having to do with repentance. And repentance is is more than just asking forgiveness. Repentance means a change of heart, a change of thinking, the change to change your way you're living. So it's to be, yes, it's part forgiveness. I'm sorry for what I did, but repentance goes a step further. I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to metamorphosize into something different. That's what Jesus is teaching, and Judas does not do this. Judas, who helped participate in miracles. Judas, who's right there following Jesus, apparently one of the leaders and stuff. He is the one that does not repent. Verse 8, it says, may his days be few. Well, we know 
um, from the um, from the Gospels that Judas commits suicide, and so his um, his days were few. He he died prematurely. Uh, also in verse eight it says, "May another take his office." That's interesting because when you get into the Book of Acts chapter one, they've talked about Judas has killed himself, so we need someone to replace him, and so. Um, we have in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, it reads, And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Thus Matthias takes the place of Judas, which is predicted right here in this psalm in verse 8. Verse 9, it says, that he, May his children be fatherless. Judas's wife would be a widow, and his children obviously would be fatherless when he commits suicide. Verse 11, May the creditor seize the fruits of his toil. All that Judas ever bought, all that he had worked for, the the money that he even got, the 20 pieces of silver from the, the high priest, all of this was was taken away from him. Actually, he threw that back into the temple. Uh, the creditors seized everything. And whatever his toils had, Judas died with nothing. It's very sad, but that's verse 11. Um, may the creditor siege the fruits of his toil. Verse 12 says, let there be none to extend kindness to him. No one showed compassion on him after his deed. Uh, when he committed suicide, you don't read anything really sorrowful about it. Um, and to this day, you don't go up and say, oh boy, you're, I'm sorry, you're like a Judas. No, we use Judas's name as an insult, as a derogatory name. Uh, no one really shows him compassion. Judas Iscariot? No, he's not. And verse 13, it says, may his prosperity be cut off. Um Look at this. Let me just read this out of a, a different translation. The NIV reads, may his descendants be cut off. So it's the same thing. We get the idea of what's going on here. Um, and Judas's generation ended because he committed suicide. And Judas was such a screw-up. He couldn't even commit suicide right. He goes out to hang himself. The rope breaks and he falls down. And, and um, even in that, he was a failure. So it's sad, but that's how this prophecy all came true because of what Judas did. And it was all predicted. It was all set up beforehand that this um, this Judas Iscariot would be the betrayer. And um, in God's plan, that's how it went. God knew that he would never be um, a, a true follower. And he let Judas be the one who fulfilled all of these prophecies. And so it's, it's sad, but that's what happened. So, actually, we're out of time here today for this, and hope you are enjoying this series. We'll pick up again. We'll still be in the book of Psalms for a bit as we're going to continue this. But I hope you're enjoying this and getting to see some fascinating things maybe you never saw before. Maybe you've learned these and forgotten them, and this is just reminding you about how important um, these prophecies are in showing us that Jesus truly is the Messiah. He fulfilled these prophecies they all point directly to him, to no one else, only to him. He is the Lord God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And with that, I'll leave you until we meet again. Take care and God bless. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And help us keep this broadcast free. 
You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you would like to hear Michael live, you can also check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org or book your own event with Michael. So this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.